Hello and welcome back to the Move and Inspire podcast with me, Sophie Deer, where I chat to inspiring thinkers and leaders who will empower people like you and me to live a healthier and happier life. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Move and Inspire podcast. I am thrilled to be interviewing today Michael Miller. So for those of you who have listened to previous podcasts, Michael is Gillian Lavender's partner and together they run the London Meditation Centre. So hello, Michael. Hi, Sophie. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm really well. And I think you and, and Gillian compete for best names for what you do. I mean, Gillian Lavender, meditation teacher, and Sophie Deer, yoga instructor, are really neck and neck for perfect branding. Oh, <laughs> I love that. I, um, I've been really wanting to um, get this chance to chat to you. I, um, I mentioned earlier, but as soon as I um, finished my podcast in the last season with Gillian, where we spoke more about relationships and conscious communication, I really felt like it would be great for my audience to hear kind of the other side as such. So from the male perspective, and again, with this wonderful backdrop of meditation. So I'm excited to kind of deep dive into that today with you. Me too, me too. But first, let's just start by um, getting you to introduce yourself and um, tell us a little bit about your journey into meditation in the first place. Sure. Well, it, it has been quite a, a journey and a, a bit either unpredictable or absolutely predictable, depending on how you look at it. I, you can hear I'm American. I grew up in, in the Midwest, in, in Iowa, in a very kind of normal suburban existence and lovely, nice people and good education and very safe. And I felt super fortunate in many ways or on reflection i see that i was very fortunate and i always i always felt like an alien like i didn't belong like there was something that didn't quite sit with me and i went all the way through university within a couple of hours where where i grew up and then moved to seattle and and this was in the early 90s and it was this real moment where grunge and artists and actors and directors and you know this real conglomeration of interesting people moved there in a big wave and I felt like oh I found my people <laughs> it was just just remarkable now when I had been in university back in Iowa that was when I first encountered meditation and yoga and you know in the late 80s it was not the thing you know it was not out there maybe in the 70s, you would have done meditation or yoga, but in the 80s in middle America, you didn't. That was not something that was on really anyone's radar. But I had a couple of different college professors who introduced me to meditation and yoga, and I found it fascinating. I could tell that there was something there. And so then when I was in Seattle, I continued down that path, yoga and meditation and martial arts and body work. I was doing rolfing and energy work and all kinds of really fascinating things. At that point, I was an actor, actually, and it all kind of went well with, with that world. I started to shift out of that into the business side, and I got into producing and, and marketing theater. 
ended up in Los Angeles, finally in a corporate role in a, in a publishing company, still entertainment adjacent, but it was, it was really fascinating. I was enjoying a, a business career and there was some feeling that I had left something behind that I still wanted to be a part of my life. I then met my teacher. I was introduced through, through a friend and within a few minutes of meeting him, I thought there is something here I need to learn because this person, his name's Tom Knowles and Tom had something when he spoke in front of a group of people. He had a way of being and a way of speaking, just who he was. There was something that I wanted and his message was meditation is what does this. And I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And I leapt back in and really, really full on from the very beginning. You know, I did the course, loved it, meditating twice a day, absolutely clicked. But I also was very connected to him personally and started assisting and, you know, I'd be there early to unlock the doors and let people in and welcome people and get them seated and really played the, the role of assistant to him for almost, almost a year. And then, then went and spent several weeks with him on an intensive training program. And then in India for a couple of weeks where things, things really coalesced, including meeting Jillian on that India trip, which, uh, made made the pathway even clearer <laughs> i love that you um yeah you, you met like that it's such a um wonderful kind of meeting of souls and uh, um doing something you both really loved and had felt really right for you like i think what you said about feeling like an alien that really interests me i wonder whether you could um touch on that a little bit because I, I do get quite a few people saying to me, I haven't found my tribe, I haven't found a community, I haven't found um, people that I want to surround myself with yet. So I don't know, I just mm. that really kind of, um, uh, I really noticed that. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really, it's very interesting and I, th I think I can contribute some of this to my family and, and specifically my mother who, who grew up in a very, you know, very particular, she was born at home in a one-room house in rural Missouri and went to a one-room schoolhouse and was the very first person in her family, not only first woman, but as far as I know, first person who went to university and then ended up getting a master's degree. She really stepped off the conveyor belt. You know, there could have been a, a very particular experience she had in life if she had just gone with that. And she stepped off and as a result was, you know, outside the experience and the understanding of, of some of the, the rest of her family. And I think I inherited that in feeling a little bit outside the experience and, and the worldview of many people around me you know growing up there were there was no one of color in basically in my town you know in a in a class of 300 people in my graduating class 
to my almost certain memory, there was one black person in my class in, you know, in 13 years of, of education, which is just, you know, remarkable living in, in London and, and being in different places in the world. I'm sure I never heard another language except when I sat in French class. And, you know, four years of French, immediately forgotten <laughs> because there was no opportunity to practice that. And maybe if I'd taken Spanish, there I would have encountered someone, but probably at that time, not so much. It was really exciting in our town when a Chinese restaurant opened. Like, that was a big, exotic moment. <laughs> and And so that didn't sit quite right with me from early early on i was attracted to things that were outside of what i was seeing around me when i got to seattle there were people speaking other languages and people from other places a lot of misfits from around the country had moved there for the very reason that i had moved there because they were looking for something and and I found a, a sense of culture and, and connection that, that worked. Los Angeles, everybody is from somewhere else. You know, it's, in a, it's a very different culture, of course. But, um, you know, to, to be from somewhere instead of living where you grew up is, is the norm in that place. And then when I moved to the UK, I think... Somehow being an alien felt correct. You know, like my paperwork said that I was an alien. So my internal experience and my actual status in the country that I was in matched for the first time. I was actually an alien legally. And there was something almost comforting about that because I was who I was meant to be out, outside instead of just feeling on the outside when when it would seem that I was where I you know I was where I was born and I was around people who looked like me and spoke like me but I didn't feel that and now even even 15 plus years in London you know I still sound to the British year I think painfully American (laughs) (laughs) but when I go back home and see Friends, you know, they, they think I sound so terribly British. <laughs> <laughs> I say process and diary and things like this. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. There is something about finding your tribe. And there is something about finding yourself. And when you are looking for connection and self-definition by finding people you feel connected to, you are always changing and they are always changing and you're going to be chasing after something. And I think the thing that has made me comfortable in my own skin in a different way is being in touch with myself and really becoming so familiar with that still quiet place inside that is not defined by who you hang out with or what city you live in or what languages you hear or any of that. Who you are, become familiar with, immerse yourself in, 
identify yourself with that and not with your small s self you know how much money do i have and how you know where do i go to work and what's my postal code and all of that but the big s self big s self that thing that is broader than your individuality that ocean upon which your wave rises up if i'm just the wave i'm always looking for other waves if i recognize actually i'm the ocean then if i happen to be hanging out with other waves that look like me great they're ocean too if i'm around a lot of waves that aren't anything like me fine they're ocean too it's all ocean it's all ocean i love that i was i was going to ask you what um what you feel your I suppose biggest changes and maybe more like immediate changes that happened when you started meditating because I read I think on your website that you were um, in, in LA working hard and playing hard so I wonder what 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 shifts came to yeah your everyday life and obviously you've talked about the self um, but yeah if you could share some of those maybe um, transformations I think that when I first learned it allowed me to work harder and play harder <laughs> that I was sleeping better and I had more energy and more clarity and more focus and so when I would get into work I could see what needed to be done I and I I had a drive and an energy that was increased by meditation and so for a good six, eight months, I was really driven. And I could go out at night with friends and you know, probably misbehave a bit and then get up in the morning and meditate and feel okay to go into work and work very hard. That it gave me a certain capacity. It also got increasingly uncomfortable to, to do that. I, you know, I was feeling more affected by things like alcohol. You know, I would, you, you, you probably heard Jillian say, you know, you become a, a cheap date when you learn to meditate because you get more conscious and then you have some alcohol and you feel the effects of becoming less conscious more. So a little bit goes a long way as, as a meditator. We always note that people tend to reduce their quantity but up their quality which i recommend in most aspects of life go for quality instead of quantity um that was certainly happening with me that i was i was feeling less comfortable with uh doing things that weren't so good for my mind and my body that i was i was starting to self-correct a little bit and there was one particular moment where i had done a publication for one of the big award shows and it was it was super intense what you know one of the most intense job projects that i've i've done in my life and you know the night of the show i i didn't go to the award ceremony but i went to the fancy glamorous after parties and you know was out I'm, I'm sure it was four in the morning when I was in bed. And then I was back at, in, at my desk at 9.30 in the morning. And 
no one else that I had been out with was there. And there was this moment of, this is unreasonable. And it, twofold, it was unreasonable that I was at my desk and functioning. Like that, that didn't kind of almost make sense given, given the, the lack of sleep and the evening before. But also that I wanted to be at work. I wanted to be being productive. And what I had participated in wasn't contributing to that. And that, although I'm not sure I identified it at the moment, looking back, that was a real pivot moment that something needed to shift. And at that point, my the job that I was in was was starting to come to a close, and and I called my teacher and 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 left a message and I said, listen, you know, my job is wrapping up. You know a lot of people in the entertainment industry. If you know of anyone I should send my CV on to, let, let me know. And uh, if I can do anything for you, you know, tell, tell me. And I, I got a message back a few days later, you know, here's what you should do. Come to Arizona where I live. I could use someone assisting me on this teacher training course I'm leading right now. And then we'll go to India together, and then let's see what happens after that. And I made this, you know, in the moment that I heard that, my stomach kind of dropped. And that was because I knew it was what I needed to do, and it was all going to change. And, and it didn't make any sense. You know, I didn't know how I would pay the rent the following month. I, you know, I didn't have a backup plan. And... I handed in my my notice and it would have been, I don't know, a week or 10 days later, boom, I was in the car, I'd sublet my place, I was off to Arizona not having any idea what I was getting into. And what I got into was 10 hours a day of listening to my teacher lecture, both on recordings and in person. And I got to witness people learning to be meditation teachers in this very intensive program and something started to bubble away. Oh no, oh, oh no, maybe that's what I have to do. And it re- there really was a little bit of heel dragging, a little bit of, you know, I kind of like my life and this is not what I had imagined for myself. Both of my, te- both of my parents had been teachers and I had always kind of resisted the teaching thing. I, I didn't, I wanted some other path and you know sometimes life has plans for you that what what do they say in star trek the borg says resistance is futile human <laughs> and and it was futile for me to push back against that any longer um just touching on that last point do you think meditation gives you more of that sense of the universe has other plans for you because for me it has that's been something huge since meditating, being able to kind of understand that what is meant for me won't miss me, that I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. Um, yeah, I wonder what your, your thoughts and your experience with that would then, what happened when you moved to India, obviously then meeting Gillian as well. Hmm. I think that Meditation bankrupts your ability to ignore things. 
And one of the things that is easy to ignore or the, are the signs of where, what direction your life is going. That people get an idea of what life is going to be like. You know, I remember at some point when I was a child, I had this idea that I would have, you know, two kids by the time I was in my mid-twenties. And I really had this clear thought that and I would be divorced by my early 30s <laughs> like I had witnessed that in my family and in most every family around me and that was just like how it was gonna go <laughs> and you know that isn't it, I was nearly in my mid-40s by the time I had a child and you know things go differently than the image that we have and the clues are there. And if you are in the river, swimming against the current, not paying attention to that, all that happens is you get really tired while the river is taking you where it's going. And as a meditator, because you can't ignore, because you are more alert to the world around you, you can recognize, you're conscious, you can see what's going on. Then you see, gosh, I'm swimming hard this direction, but I'm still going that way. And maybe I'm gonna stop swimming that way. It's wearing me out and I'm just gonna stop and I'm gonna have a look around while life sweeps me along, while the river carries me. And now I can see what direction I'm headed. Okay, fantastic. Now I'm gonna redirect myself because if I'm with the flow, then I have a different kind of agency. If I'm fighting against the flow, it's really hard work and I'm not actually very effective. If I'm going with the current, then I'm not wearing myself out and I can actually get myself out into the middle of the river where it's fast and a little bit bumpy and exciting. Or I can direct myself over here where it's a little more still and hang out under the trees and pluck a mango and you know, I can be, I, I can employ my desires better if I'm in alignment with where the world is taking me, where nature is directing me, than if I'm completely out of alignment with that and fighting against it. And this is very much what happened. When I started to see the direction that I was headed, you know, having, having met, Jillian, you know, it was not my plan to move countries. And, you know, she was just this sort of amazing person that I'd met on this trip. And there were lots of amazing people on that trip. But we started talking, we started emailing, and it was clear there was something else going on. And so that, that, had, to, that had to be acknowledged. And then things sort of fell into place. And so, you know, there was a way to get a work permit to come to the UK. And that took effort and time and energy and all of that. But because it was in alignment with where nature was heading, something happened quite, quite quickly and relatively without friction. And I, I think this is something very much that meditators notice, that they stop fighting against what nature is up to and they go with it. It doesn't mean I just throw my hands up and go, okay, whatever happens, whatever. 
you know, it's not a whatever sort of experience. It's a, oh, we're going this way, and ooh, there's something that I'm interested in, and you can go for it. And you have the support of nature instead of fighting against it. Yeah, it's honestly one of the reasons I recommend when people... I have so many people who reach out to me through social media who say, you've made some huge changes to your life. Like, how how did you do it? Which is obviously quite... A- a complicated question to answer but I always lead them to you first to the London Meditation Centre because as you said it's like you just can't ignore those things anymore that are in your gut and yeah I, I, I really believe that meditation for me has just opened me up to who I really am to begin with I definitely didn't know who I was Um, And then from that, I was able to make decisions in a way that felt just way more natural. And um, yeah, I'm so grateful to the London Meditation Centre, to you and Gillian, because it's just been um, such a such a big transformation. And I really didn't believe that I could meditate. Um, I remember being Mm. when I was signed off work, my um, therapist that told me to start headspace and I just couldn't I couldn't get into it and I found even when I started teaching yoga I found that I was meditating when things got difficult not as like a daily practice and then I don't know really what happened but something just called out to me early 2019 and told me I needed to get some real guidance with this and I also love to learn so that that's always exciting for me. But yeah, that was such a, a big start in my journey of so many um, shifts. So I will be forever grateful. <laughs> hmm. Well, I think so many people have that same experience that you have of trying something that, you know, is a good first rung on the ladder. And, you know, we have a lot of people who got introduced to meditation by an app. And that has put meditation in the cultural conversation in a way that it would not be if these apps hadn't taken off in the way that they had. And there are some people who do that and just get frustrated and think meditation doesn't work and or it's just not for me. And you self-nominated to learn in that you experimented with something and felt like, oh, there's something here there's something here that could actually do something for me. I need to take a further step. And everyone who learns Vedic meditation is self-nominating by their own inherent state of consciousness. There are people who come to our introductory talks and at the end of hearing for an hour the research on how all the amazing effects that meditation delivers and how easy it is and enjoyable and how you know it's going to make your health better and your thinking clearer and your emotional state smoother and your relationships deeper and more profound and you're going to make your own personal contribution to world peace and at the end of all that they say ah this this just sounds so amazing you know my husband should do this and you think well <laughs> maybe but maybe you should do it. Maybe maybe don't worry about other people. You know, my boss should do it. My partner should do it. Oh, 
do you teach children? My child is nervous. Well, you learn to meditate. You learn to meditate. You heard it. It made sense to you. And you committed to a strategic practice. And this is what you were talking about, about, you know, just meditating when you felt unfocused or down or scattered or depressed or whatever the circumstances were that you would think, oh, today I better meditate. It's sort of like this moment that's happening right now that these celebrities are coming out and saying, oh, I only bathe my children when they stink. Uh, bathing is maintenance. <laughs> Some regularity is a good thing. <laughs> and meditation is a strategic practice. You can meditate as a tactic. You know, you can only meditate when you're on the plane and it will help with your jet lag a little bit. You can only meditate when you feel really anxious and it's going to take a little of the edge off of that. And if you are meditating on a regular twice a day basis, that is like your yoga program, you know, keeps you in shape and allows you to do all, of, all sorts of things that you wouldn't be able to do if you were in shape. The way that you know, getting on the Pilates machine twice a week gives you flexibility and alignment that means when you run on the sand, you have an experience that would be different if you weren't doing that twice a week. If you are working on your relationship with regularity and you have an intent to be connected and give to another, then when a challenge comes, you are in a space that allows you to do that. When you are meditating regularly, you have the emotional flexibility and the clarity of thinking and the refinement of perception and the lack of stress held in the system that allows you to do all of those things in a more effective way. And, and it is that regularity that makes a huge difference in the expansion of your consciousness and the development of your humanity. Yeah, I think a huge one, as I'm going to start to navigate the conversation towards relationships as well, a huge one for me has been taking responsibility for myself. So like you said about other people saying to you, oh, I think my partner should do it. I think my child should should learn to meditate. Um, the The responsibility I now take for my feelings, my actions, um, all the relationships I have is so, so different to how I... Um, my how my mindset used to be I would say that I used to take a bit of a victimhood mindset thinking why me um, why do difficult things happen to me and actually I, ne I, I really don't think like that anymore and I, I attribute that massively to meditation but that ability to take responsibility um, has been huge and that's really also helped my relationships as well um, I wonder what your thoughts are on that within, within relationships. I think it's, it's wise. And I think it comes back to what is love and where is that coming from? And if my experience of love 
is dependent on the other, then I'm always coming from a place of neediness. Oh, I need to be getting love from you and I need you so that I can feel love and express it. And this is not the truth of love. The truth of love is all love comes from the self. All love is an internal self-referral unity experience. That's true love. And the way we experience it is reflected by the other. So you meet some person and you're having a little chat with them and you know you say oh gosh you know i had this amazing lunch the other day i had this this great thai food and the other person says really oh my gosh i love thai food it's been ages since i've had thai food and you go oh my god yeah it had been ages since i had and you have this little moment of unity experience and then you're talking for a while longer and they say oh yeah I recently saw this show on Netflix and, and you say, oh, I've been looking at that show. Is it good? Oh yeah, what I really liked about it was the interaction of these characters and they're a little bit twisted, but also really lovely. And you go, oh my gosh, I, I love complex characters like that that are a little messed up, but also good at heart. And isn't that interesting? And oh, and here we are, ding. It's another little unity point, another little connection. And I'm starting to feel a little, ooh, this person is, this is very interesting. And then something else, another unity point, something else. And what I'm starting to experience is me in the other person. If I could be another person, I would like to be a person like that. They're a little bit different than me, enough that that is interesting. It was just exactly like me. That wouldn't be fascinating at all. There's difference that creates a little frisson, but also there are these connection points that are starting to spark a love experience. And what I am loving is me in that other person. Now, if I don't get that, if I don't understand that, if I don't have a, a full, profound experience of myself as a result of meditation or you know possibly some other practice then i start to project that love and that feeling that i'm having onto the other person and then if things start to be uh, revealed that don't match that experience oh you know it was really all great until i found out that they you know, are really into this certain book and that writer and that philosophy. And all of a sudden, this big question mark gets introduced. You know, is this person enough like me? Is this person really going to be able to support me? And are they going to continue to care for me? And I start to question whether I'm getting the kind of love from them that I've always dreamed of or the hypnosis of social conditioning told me that I should get or you know what my therapist has told me I truly deserve and all of a sudden that other is got a big question mark on their forehead is that other going to fill this empty place in me 
Whereas if I am fully engaged with my own self, then what that becomes is a little bit of contrast that actually makes the other person even more lovable. Oh, they like that book? I think that book's terrible, but isn't that fascinating? Huh, okay, well, let's do something else. And also, I can surrender my preferences to the fire of transformation that happens in the relationship. That I can give up my preference for this breakfast cereal or going out for that kind of meal or only reading these kind of books or seeing these movies or living in this place or whatever it is. I surrender that into the flames of that relationship and it burns more brightly and I'm not giving up some core part of myself. I am the person who only likes breakfast at this time in this place and I can never give that up. That would be sacrificing some part of me that makes me who I am. I know that's not who I am. Of course it isn't. Of course it isn't. And if shifting some small personal preference of mine in order to build a stronger love alliance with this person is interesting to me, then I am eminently able to do that. No problem. I'll give up whatever. You don't want to go on this little day trip on the train? Fine. Fine, I'll give it up. I'm not that attached to it. Let's do something else. Beautiful. But these are the little things that people get so attached to and, oh, this person isn't for me because they like to have the heat turned up at night and I like to have it cold and we'll never be able to get past this. Really? Such little, such little things. Such little things. Yeah, I do think that we uh, get so caught up in these little things and um, having that flexibility and not being so rigid in our preferences. Again, that has been something that has uh, transformed for me um, with meditation. I just wanted to take a short moment to let you know that we have a new yoga and meditation series coming up called Dealing with Difficult Emotions. In this series, we explore anger, sadness, frustration, fear, and worry. When we understand where our emotions are coming from, we can move through them with a lot more ease and clarity. Take our free quiz to find out how well you deal with your emotions. Link will be in the show notes. In terms of something I'm really interested in within... um, mainly like the romantic relationship dynamic but this is this also could be a friendship or a family relationship dynamic um conflict resolution and healthy conflict um i'd love your thoughts on that (laughs) ask more specifically okay so i used to believe that not having any conflict was a good thing. And I think what I'm realizing <laughs> now how'd, was... Go how'd on. How'd that work out for you, Sophie? How'd that work um, out for you, Sophie? <laughs> not so great because I'm now divorced. But um, <laughs> I think what I massively realized was that was just avoidance. It was avoidance mm. of being uncomfortable 
avoidance of being vulnerable, um, avoidance of linked to vulnerability, just showing who I really am um, and being confused about who I really was. Do I really believe this or do I not? Is this the right decision? Like that's something that has also changed for me. I don't doubt my decisions as much as I used to. I used to really doubt every decision, tiny decisions to big decisions. I found really, really hard. I'd need everyone else's approval. But so I suppose something that I am learning, I'm now in a um, new relationship and um, I'm learning how important it is to have the difficult conversations, how important it is to create a safe space um, and time for these conversations to really speak about what you feel. I'm learning a language in how to say it instead of you made me feel like this. I really try to say when this behavior happened, I felt hurt or um, something along those lines where again, I'm taking the responsibility instead of projecting something that they might not have intended. So I'm learning a lot <laughs> and um, and yet still conflict can be really difficult. Um, so maybe to make it a, more of a specific question to you, how do you and Gillian deal with conflict and also m- maybe conflict on a smaller scale or a bigger scale or do you not get to the bigger scale because you're always ironing out the smaller things like that's something I'm really committed to in this relationship I want to have regular conversations so we talk every single Sunday to iron out things so that we're not creating those layers upon layers of difficulty and um uh, and friction we try and sort it out on a Sunday so that we can start the the week afresh and also because mm. we know we have that on a Sunday anything that happens during the week we know we are going to address it on the Sunday so if we're too triggered in the moment we take a moment to step back and then we can always come back to it on a Sunday which allows me to feel really safe and um loved and protected um yeah that was a lot but <laughs> no it's it's brilliant and I think nipping in in the bud is really important to not let things build up and and you know, allow yourself to develop some legacy of hurdy poos. Like, you know, if six weeks later you bring something up and say, Yeah, but remember you did, you know, that's your fault. <laughs> you that other person was simply behaving and you you took offense and held on to it for six weeks and then introduced it. If you take offense, first recognize that that requires you to take it. You know, that the the clue is in the language. Someone offered up an opportunity for you to be offended by not behaving in a certain way or behaving in some other way. And you took that personally. Whereas likely most likely most of the time that person is not actually doing anything that's anything about you anything about you at all but we look for in a certain way or we can get in the habit of looking for opportunities to be 
offended, to look for clues that things are off, to watch for ways that this person isn't meeting my bar of expectation. And this is exhausting for us and for them. Everybody's on guard all the time. I think this idea of having something of a regular check-in it can be really useful, especially in the early days where you're finding your footing in a relationship. Do we have shared values? Because you know what I was saying earlier about letting go of preferences, my preference for where we have dinner tonight, I'm willing to let go of. My values of caring for people who have less privilege than I happen to have at the moment, that's not something I'm willing to let go of. And, you know, this is a core part of how I operate in the world. And if I was in a relationship where the other person didn't, at a minimum, respect and appreciate that value, but likely share that value, then, you know, this is probably not an alliance that's going to grow. Or if I commit to it, it's going to require self-sacrifice in a way that's not going to be very appealing for very, very long. So if I am constantly second-guessing and looking for the other person's approval, and if these weekly meetings turn into, how do we make everything okay? It was a bit of a bumpy week. How do we work out and make sure next week isn't bumpy like last week was? Then... We might recognize, oh, I'm starting to engage in that same people-pleasing and uh, conflict avoidance behavior. I'm just trying to put it into our 90-minute meeting where it's okay to carefully tiptoe around these things. As opposed to making space to talk about the stuff that is important. And, you know, this is something that has to be done with deliberation. It's very easy to just sort of rock through life and not pay attention to the important stuff. And the important stuff can be this emotional connection between us. It can also be, hey, we've got some life admin that we need to sit down and deal with, and let's not do it at the dinner table while we're trying to consume and digest, let's carve out a space on Sunday evening to sit down and look at what needs to get done. And, and then a separate time when we sit down and say, hey, how are we doing? And just like with a business, you have yearly or twice yearly or quarterly away days where you sit down and go, okay, where are we at? What's happening? What have we achieved? And what would we like to achieve next? I think that is a really useful conscious relationship strategy to go, okay, where are we at? What's working? What feels a little bit off? And what can we do to take things to the next level? Because your relationship, people will say, I want my relationship, I want this relationship to succeed. I want to succeed in this relationship. Well, what does that mean? You know, the ring gets put on the finger, 
and then happily ever after or you know we create another you know genetic mix of the two of us or we cohabitate or what does succeed mean succeed means succession constantly moving to the next level succeed is a process it's not an end point and so your relationship will constantly be changing as you evolve as the other person evolves as the world that you live in changes and if you're ever in your relationship thinking oh what about how could we get back to the way it used to be you know enjoy that relationship while it lasts and it's not going to be very long because if you're looking for what used to be you are not evolving you are not flowing with the river the river is on its way and if you're wishing you were further upstream then you know it's going to be short it's going to be short did i answer um, your question <laughs> Yeah, I believe Conflict. you did. I, I, if, if you're able to give some, um, maybe like some examples of something that for if you, if you'd be happy to share something that maybe there's been conflict with you and Jillian or you and someone else where, and like your thought process around how, how you've moved forwards because a, a lot of what you say i i love and then i but i do also know that i i do slip into habits where i'm like expecting so much and then i'm i consciously have to catch myself and remember that expectations are um not healthy um or a certain level are but yeah i just think it's easy like i had a, a couple of days ago i had a day where i was just in like a really grumpy mood and I really struggled and I was expecting a lot from my partner and I wasn't great to be around and so obviously the fact that I'm conscious of this is great and I can make amends and I can work on myself but um yeah I think it for for me sometimes it's it, it I have moments where it's easy to slip back into old patterns um, of course. These are deeply, deeply ingrained. And you are making changes that to dynamics that are not yours. You know, if you look at your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents, these are ways of operating, coping mechanisms that came about as a result of disempowerment or trauma or you know all the all the things that happened over generations and generations and generations and the fact that you are aware of them and consciously evaluating and improving the way you're relating with the people in in your world this is this is breaking that chain you know the everyone that you interact with you are uplifting because you are interacting in a deliberate and conscious way. Does that mean we are perfect all the time? Of course not. I get grumpy sometimes. And I know that I have to take care of that myself and that I can't expect the other person 
to do that for me. And if I look to another person in my life, if I look to Jillian to make me feel better, then I'm likely to be disappointed. You can only be disappointed if you have an appointment. And if my appointment is, when I feel like this, this other person is going to step in and absolutely fix everything, you know, guaranteed, guaranteed I'm going to be disappointed. So my feelings are my business and my responsibility. It's not for someone else to fix and it's not because of someone else that I'm feeling this way. It's my interpretation of the experience. It's my story that I'm writing on top of their behavior that is creating my feeling state. And when I recognize this, I can disengage from it. So you recognizing where you're at is absolutely first steps. And you know, sometimes I have to take a little time and step step away and go, okay, you know, I need to go for a walk or have a breather or you know, stare at something stupid on the on the computer screen for a little bit and just, you know, give myself a break. <laughs> and give yourself a break because life is full on and we do not have to be some, we don't have to live up to some image we have of the perfect enlightened relationship partner. You have the full range of human emotions. You respond and even react to events and circumstances based on who you are and your pers personal and family history. And we want to get better. We want to get better. So you use the term making amends. I think it's really important to be able to step up and say, hey, you know what? I didn't behave very well and I apologize. And embedded in that apology is not an ask for forgiveness, but a commitment to be better next time. This is a really important thing about apologies. If apology is asking the other person to say, hey, it's okay, then that apology is gonna get old for the other person quickly. If making amends is, hey, I recognize I was off and I'm committed to the next time we experience this being better, then that's an apology that is, the, the responsibility is mine. And this is, a, this is a really interesting thing about apologies. If the apology is asking something of the other person, then what's that doing? That's asking even more of them, not only did you have to put up with my bad behavior before? But now you have to find it in yourself to forgive me and make me feel better. An apology, a, a, a making of amends is, hey, if saying this can make you feel a bit better, I'm going to step forward a bit. And if saying this is an indication of my willingness to improve, then that also is worth saying. 
if those things are not there, then apologies are very, very hollow. And we should catch ourselves in, in this. You know, it's like being honest. You know, honesty, speak the sweet truth, absolutely. But being honest is, can be very self-serving. Oh, you know, I was thinking something about you that's not a very nice thought, so I want to be honest and, and tell you about that. You know, it's really important for me to share what's going on. Well, what I'm doing in that moment, potentially, is, again, just making myself feel better. I had a thought that I didn't feel very good about, and I'm going to do this admirable thing of being honest about where I was coming from, and all of a sudden, it's your problem. All of a sudden, you have to deal with the fact that the person you're with was thinking these things. That hasn't helped. Maybe it's made me feel better over here. And this is something that often, and I think um, you and I, before we, before we started, had mentioned Esther Perel just a little bit. And I, in, you know, I think she is remarkable when, when it comes to breaking trust in a relationship that you know, if you then come to the other person and ask for forgiveness, you have made it their problem. And you don't have to do any work. And you know, if you've broken trust in your relationship some way, the work is yours. The work is yours. You have to integrate the fact that you behaved in a way that is not in alignment with your values and how you see yourself. And you've got to do that work and figure out yourself before you take it to the other person. Because if you just sort of dump some, I had some clients ask me about this, you know, what if you broken somebody's trust and you know, how do you talk to them about it? And I said, well, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't, maybe the problem is yours and don't, don't make it theirs. And I think, you know, this is something that we have to take a little bit of care with in our relationships. What stuff is to be put on the table and processed and worked out between us? And what stuff is my stuff? And we can call it my shit. <laughs> what, what is my shit that I need to deal with and figure out that does not need to be processed in relationship? If I am anxious or jealous or needy of attention or desperate for certain kind of connection that's not the other person's problem that's my problem and it is it will become a relationship problem if i try to solve it by going to the other person as that other person is never going to fill that empty space only you can do that and some of that is intellectual work. Some of that is recognizing patterns and behaviors and expectations that are completely unrealistic and a, that a relationship is never going to solve. When I can recognize that, then through my spiritual practice of connecting with source, 
and for us that practice is twice a day Vedic meditation, I am reconnecting with a place inside that is whole, that is complete, that is unblemished, that is not needy in any way. That is fulfillment. When I identify with that, when I recognize that that is who I am, when I recognize my own personal fulfillment, then relationship stuff is, you know, I'm not needy. And then I can simply love that person. I can simply love them for who they are and where they are. And if I'm going to them needing of something, they are never going to be able to fulfill that. Never, never, never. If I've got a hole in me. And you don't have a hole in you. It's just holes have been impressed upon you. And we're going to unwind that through regular meditation. Wow. <laughs> Michael, like so many amazing um, words of wisdom. Um, yeah, I, in my head, I'm like, I want to ask this. I want to ask this. Or, I want to dive into this. But I'm a, a, aware of the time. So what I would love to do is just because we spoke about this at the beginning, I'd love to ask you a question around um, something uh, that's linked to Esther Perel, which is the I idea of keeping desire, especially in a long term relationship. Um, and I think what Esther Perel does so well is she talks about how we want two different things. So we want um, security and love, but we also want desire and adventure. And yeah, we, we want our partner to, to meet all our different needs <laughs> all at the same time. And yeah, I just love some thoughts from you because actually it's the only, the only, Esther Perel is the only person that I've really heard talk about this. So I'd love to hear it again from the male perspective and, um, and yeah, your thoughts. I, I think it's a really tricky thing in long-term relationships that, you know, humans probably not designed to be with the same person for 50 years. Probably not how our physiology evolved. And our minds are way ahead of our physiology. So, you know we were designed to hit each other with clubs and we're not doing that most of us all that often you know our consciousness is moving a lot faster and consciousness is is primary and so i very i mean we can go on and on about esther and her genius but i think that finding the the balance between stability and adaptability and th these are in the Vedic worldview classic masculine feminine values or, or attributes that in masculine consciousness resides stability and in feminine consciousness resides flexibility now this is not male and female everyone has both the masculine and the feminine in them and finding this balance internally, personally, 
and in your relationship is really, really important. So there's this, you know, classic relationship trope of the man just wants to sort of stay at home and potter about in the workshop and, you know, watch the game and the, and, you know, sort of be a little bit internal. And then there's, uh, this is stereotype. There's a, a stereotype that it's the, the woman in, in this hetero cisgendered relationship that we're inventing here that wants to go out and try a new restaurant and visit a new place and let's go on holiday here. And those things can appear to be in conflict and can start to become a point of friction between those two people. Oh, you always want to stay at home. I want to go out and try things. Oh, you always want to flit all about someplace and all I want is to... Well, if we have the personal, emotional, psychic flexibility to recognize that both of those impulses are inside of us, then we can engage with those. So this weekend, Jillian said, I want to get out of these four walls and go somewhere and do something. And there was part of me that was like, oh, we've been doing so much and been so full on with work. I just like to stay at home and sort of collect myself and relax. And I, and I said, yes, let's do that. And boom, we grabbed some train tickets and went to the coast and... The weather was horrible. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And, you know, it could... If I had been attached to my point of view of we should have just stayed at home, it would have been warm and cozy and we could have just relaxed, there were all kinds of flags for me to grab onto and wave. And... You know, I had to make a really... It was it was work for me. And work I was happy to engage in and work. Okay, I am absolutely willing to surrender my preference and do something different. And there we were at the beach in the rain, running about, jumping in the water, and too cold, and it was fantastic. And what did that do for me? it sparked love feelings. You know, here is this person taking me outside of my habit and what I would have sort of done by default. And, you know, I could witness in her the, the joy that she experienced and the pleasure that she got from doing something different and being adaptable. And that sparks love for that person. And, and there is a little bit of buzz between two people as a result of having stability and flexibility. Having two more qualities of the masculine and feminine. The masculine quality is pure knowledge and knowingness. And the feminine is 
organizing power. So here we have in the masculine stability and pure knowledge and in the feminine we have adaptability and organizing power. And those things in balance make for a really good match. Again, I want to be clear that if you are in the same gender relationship or you do not identify as male or female, none of this matters at all. Masculine and feminine are energies and consciousness states that exist in all of us. If I become stuck in one of them, if I become hyper-masculine, then what I become is rigid and a know-it-all. And I spend a lot of time not doing anything that anybody else wants and mansplaining about why what I think is best. And if I swing too far to the feminine, I'm a little scattered and a little all over the place, but really controlling at the same time about putting everything exactly where and as it needs to be. We need to have this flexibility to move towards the center and pulsate back and forth. Spanda, spanda, the Sanskrit for pulsation. The ability to move out of our comfort zone and back into it. And that flexibility is where desire lies. If I resile into stability, it's going to get boring. If I am desperate for variety, I'm probably not going to be able to keep my attention on one partner. If I can have stability and flexibility, if I can know what is best and be able to organize some interesting experiences, then I'm creating both. And it's having full access to that in your own consciousness that then allows you to play it out in relationship. It takes intent, it takes some conscious work, and what, what could be more valuable, more worthwhile? You've explained that in such a, a beautiful way, in a way that I hadn't thought about before, so thank you so much um, Yeah, for that. I would definitely try and take that into my relationship. Um, okay, so Michael, what's coming up for you that you're excited about in the future? And perhaps you could also talk a little bit about your new podcast. Oh, thanks for that. I'm, I am excited about my podcast. It's called Speaking of Meditation. And I hope that you would agree to be a guest on it sometime soon. I'm talking to people who are meditators from the from you know kind of a a place of inquiry like why did you do this because i'm always amazed that people learn to meditate there are so many other interesting things to do with the world and so many avenues for personal development that a little bit of what we talked about here today i am just fascinated by people's story of how they came to meditation and what in their life made them open enough to seek it out and agree to do it when they did. And so it's their journey for getting to meditation and then also what they have seen happen in their life since. Kind of the, the practical or noticeable outcomes because you know this is something that needs to get the so what answer. 
if I am sitting around for meditating for 20 minutes twice a day, so what? So what? You know, it feels nice. I could take a 20 minute bath twice a day and feel kind of good. There are all kinds of things we can do with 40 minutes in our day. What are you getting from it? And it is fascinating to talk to people. Um, I have a couple of episodes up all already here at the kind of toward the beginning of August, and those are coming out weekly. So speaking of meditation is something that I'm, I'm really enjoying working on and also just stepping outside of my comfort zone a little, a little bit, you know, doing something different. I just had to get my UK driver's license and it was fantastic. Having been a driver for 35 years to learn to drive again, it was hard work. <laughs> it was really hard to correct some habits that my driving instructor said, you will fail the test if you do that. You're not an unsafe driver, but there are specifics on this test that you need to be able to meet. And you know, driving on the other side of the road, fascinating, learning to really correctly and gracefully navigate roundabouts, not something I had to do when I was 16 years old, to take a practical driving test, fantastic. I loved it. I passed, brilliant, first time. I was quite pleased with myself. I'm looking for my next thing like this, actually. What do I do next that is kind of different? You know, there has been a lot of opportunity for that over the last 20 months. And, uh, you know, we were talking about how we've both figured out how to do this video audio stuff. And I'm a little bit nerdy with the IT. <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed getting technology up to speed and being able to communicate with people like this and connecting with our meditators in this way has been such an amazing experience and opportunity to be in contact. And I'm looking forward to getting back into the room with groups of meditators. In September, I'm going to New York. We have both London Meditation Center and New York Meditation Center. And I'll be in New York for the first time since January 2020. And it's going to be wonderful to connect with long-term meditators there and to begin offering in-person instruction again in a place that was so battered by the pandemic early on and is, you know, in post-traumatic stress reaction. The whole world is that. The whole world is experience, experiencing PTSD and I think some places in the world acutely and, and New York is one of those places. It is, uh, it's gonna be really good to be spreading a little connection and releasing a little bit of stress for some individuals there and, and that's why we do this, you know, for, for people to get better and be better with each other. I think it'll be really interesting to see um, whether your numbers go up and up because of the pandemic. Mm. I don't know if, if you're able to even quantify that yet. It's hard to say. Um, you know, there's never been a shortage of stressed out people who needed to learn to meditate, <laughs> particularly in, in London and New York. That 
there are enough people who recognize that stress is negatively impacting their the way they feel and their health and their performance that that we've we've had people around and the pandemic has highlighted that for a lot of people it has made explicit and they weren't able to engage in their usual coping mechanisms oh it was a terrible week i feel miserable i'll go out and have a great dinner and you know forget about it for a bit or i'll go on holiday you know if i can just get through to august and be on holiday and be on a beach somewhere for two weeks then i'll be fine and you know always there has been a lift in for us there's a back to school moment in september that we have more people come along because they went on holiday with their family and they realized that that didn't actually make them feel better and maybe even made them feel worse and so they get back and they think oh gosh there's always a new year's resolution lift oh my gosh i got through 2019 and that was another miserable year and i need to do something different this year and maybe meditation is is that and you know i think this september and january 22 we're uh, we're girding ourselves for those people to be coming along even even more and you know we just we our responsibility as teachers is show up do the work show up and and teach in a pure and proper way and teach fully and completely so that people are self-sufficient in a practice that with regular engagement will deliver everything that you and I have been talking about today and you and Jillian have talked about several times and that Jillian talks about in her book I think you and she have talked about this but her book Why Meditate Because It Works makes it so crystal clear the science and the philosophy behind this and you know more and more people are getting clear that those things that work they better be meditating so we keep doing it i um cannot wait for my book to arrive in bali i don't know when that will be but i'm very Has excited it not arrived to... yet i'm no but we'll that's double so check and make typical. sure that's on its way well thank you so much Michael you are absolutely incredible I feel so honored to have been able to chat through so much and I've honestly I've learned so so much in this conversation so yeah thank you so much for giving me your time Sophie thank you for having me and thanks for doing the work that you do I think it's crystal clear to everybody who listens to you what a channel you are for wisdom and clarity and and that is a a real gift to every one of us who have contact with you and and get to witness what what you you know witness you finding your way through things but giving all of us perspective thank thank you so much thank you michael that means a lot i just want to take this opportunity to let you know about my move and inspire membership my online membership is for those ready to commit to moving and meditating regularly. It's not just about exercise, it's about a way of life 
and it's about empowering your mindset with accessible tools for you to feel like you can embrace everything the world has to offer you. Every month we give you at least four new yoga flows. We also give you access to our archive of over 100 videos suitable for every level. This includes vinyasa yoga, yin yoga, yoga and live music, hit, strength training and more. We give you two new meditations a month to help you inspire a sense of calm and focus. We also have an archive of over 50 meditations exploring topics such as letting go, gratitude, acceptance, learning to surrender, imposter syndrome, compassion and kindness. Our community provides a private space for members to share their stories, recommend podcasts, books and inspiring quotes. If a membership isn't quite right for you, then head to my website, sophiedear.com, for courses such as the 14-day challenge, yoga for beginners, and self-growth workshops. There's all sorts of free stuff up for grabs too, so just check out the link on the homepage. We would love to have you as part of the tribe, so check out the links in the podcast notes. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspirational tips, please head to www.sophiedeard.com and sign up for my weekly wellness letter.